Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for worship this morning. We're going to continue on in our sermon series. Our sermon series is called The Gifts of Crisis. And one way that I've been meditating on this idea that God could give us gifts in our difficult seasons of our life, and in this difficult season, I've been meditating on the phrase, don't waste the wilderness. Remember in our Mark study, we found that at the opening pages of the gospel that Jesus is baptized and God comes and speaks his word over Jesus that uh, he is his beloved. And from there, it says the spirit of God moves Jesus into a wilderness phase, and it is there in the wilderness where Jesus is prepared for his public ministry. And so there's some great lessons that Jesus is learning out there in the wilderness. Well, in this wilderness phase that we find ourselves in as a church, I want to bring forward what I think is at the essence of what we can learn in the wilderness. It is a characteristic of God that we will discover in the most formative story in all of Scripture. Before I read it, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have together. I pray that you would reveal yourself through this time of reading your word, of meditating on your word. Lord, Blow your wind, blow a a fresh expression of your Holy Spirit upon each and every listener to this gospel message. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Going to begin by looking at Exodus chapter 2. I'll just read a couple verses to you this morning. It says this, During that long period... The king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help was for help because of their slavery, and it went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and had compassion on them. Our scripture for this morning has lurking just below the surface something so profound. We all know the story, even people outside of the church know this primary story, the story of Exodus, the story of slavery and deliverance and refining and promise that mark the four stages of our life's seasons with God. But in this story, we discover that God enters in in a very specific way. The way is through the cries of the people of Israel. It says that God hears 
the cries of his people. This is the very first time that God enters into the story of God's people. And he does it in response to their cries. So, one of the things that we can do as we unpack, as A.W. Tozer said, that the most important thing about each person is what they think when they think about God. And during this moment of great difficulty and crisis during this pandemic, what do we think about God? What is God doing in this season? What is the characteristic, that attribute of God that is most highlighted in this season? Well, we see for the Israelites that when they are struggling, that God extends a particular attribute. We even see this in the wilderness narrative as well. Once the nation of Israel is delivered, they walk through the Red Sea, they're out there in the wilderness, and Moses is trying to lead them through the wilderness. And during that time, they begin to have the character of God revealed to them. And this is most noticeable in chapter 34, verse 6. Moses wants to see God, but God says, you're not ready to see me, but I will give you my name. And so, verse 6 says this, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This one scripture is the most quoted scripture by the Bible that is in the Bible. Over 30 times Exodus 34.6 is quoted by other teachers in scripture. You see, those teachers are returning their disciples in memory to the most essential characteristic of who God is. God's name begins with, of all things, compassion. This word for compassion uh, is rakum in Hebrew, R-A-K-H-U-M. And it actually shares a root word with rakem, R-E-K-H-E-M, which is the word for womb. And so when we read that God's name is compassion, that God is compassion, we're reading this word rakum, and that word captures within the Jewish mind this image of a mother who is taking care of a vulnerable infant. It can be best translated as that God is deeply moved. When God sees the tears of those first slaves in Egypt, he is deeply moved by their tears. And so one of the gifts of the wilderness, and in particularly this wilderness, which is not an individual wilderness, but a collective 
wilderness is that we together are sharing a moment of struggle. And the question becomes, will we be a community that chooses to lament or will we be a community that throws a tantrum? And so much of that depends on if you place your faith in this characteristic and attribute of who God is. You see, when we go through difficult times, it is natural for us to throw a tantrum, to get upset, to get angry, to be frustrated. But what makes a tantrum a tantrum is that, and I'm an expert in these these days, is that when someone goes to console somebody who's throwing a tantrum, that their compassion is unwelcome. And they're distraught and inconsolable and they continue to get upset and their anger and frustration builds and this emotion generates and continues and builds and builds and builds and builds. But... A community that is in lament is tearful, distraught, upset, but directs its emotion towards God and forms language to their emotion. And whatever that emotion is, they just name it and bring it before God. And the tears that flow become something that God takes great notice of. Now, if I had to ask you in this time, what would you answer? Do you think our community at large here in Redondo Beach, here in America, is throwing a tantrum? Or are they a community, are we a community of lament? We just got to practice this beautiful practice as Dave led us into the practice of lamenting as a community. My prayer in that is that God would hear our cries. And the promise of Scripture is not only does God hear our cries, but he is deeply moved to act as he listens to our collective cries, as he listens to our complex emotions as he sees our struggle as he sees us not even able to really articulate what's going on but knows that we are in the midst of struggle and as we direct all of that to him he is deeply moved god is a god of compassion we might say it this way god's first impression in all of scripture is one of compassion. If God came into the room this morning and greeted you, your impression of him would be his name. Compassion. Graciousness. Spaciousness. This is the posture that God brings to us and extends to us, those who are lost and in need and desperate, in the wilderness, God comes with compassion. That is his primary attribute that he brings during crisis. 
Scripture unpacks that in a number of different ways, but one way I want to begin to examine through a few scriptures in the New Testament is around how compassion is actually about wholeness. And one of the places we see that is surprisingly in the end of chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember last week we talked about the beginning of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. And as you go in chapter 5 all the way to the end of the chapter, you discover a section where Jesus is teaching on loving enemies and he concludes that section by saying, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And all of God's people said, yeah, right. How am I going to be perfect? How can I possibly do that? And one of the reasons for our terror at such a command is we read it individualistically and we assume what, what it means is that that's an invitation from God to me to become perfect, to become robotic, to follow every rule, to do everything I possibly can to be exactly in line with all of these really difficult teachings that Jesus is bringing together. But let me offer you what Ronald Rollheiser teaches on this particular passage. He unpacks it by using another story, a story of Jesus as a shepherd when he uses this parable of the 99 and the one lost sheep. Rollheiser points out in this story that what Jesus is really after, what Jesus is revealing about the heart of God is that 99 is incomplete. In the story, Jesus says that 99 are left in the wilderness, and the good shepherd goes to find the one sheep. And of course, he lovingly, when he finds it, throws it on his shoulders and brings it back into the fold. You see, what Jesus desires more than anything else is not to forsake the 99 just for the one, but to bring the one back to the 100, this number of completion this picture of completion. You see, if there's one sheep that is outside of God's providence and care, that grieves the heart of God. That moves God to want to go and to get that one sheep and bring them back into the fold. So Rollheiser actually says that this word perfection is more associated with this idea of wholeness, that the community, when it follows the commands of the Sermon on the Mount and becomes a people of compassion that welcomes in the lost sheep, actually seeks to bring a wholeness to the community. And whenever there is a lost sheep who's outside of God's providence and care, it should grieve the community's heart. It should lead to compassion. And Luke actually quotes similar, this passage, this be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, but Luke actually changes the understanding in the words and translations just a little bit. In Luke 6, he says, be compassionate 
as your heavenly Father is compassionate. So the question becomes, are you living in the promise that God has seen your grief and has brought a supernatural comfort onto you? And are you willing to extend that to others? You know, at my house, we are made fun of frequently when visitors come over, especially when our family comes over because they discover in our little home there are a ton of white noise machines. And those white noise machines, you know, it's that that noise that helps people sleep. It kind of has that womb-like sound. And the reason for that is because when Katie and I had our first son, Remy, when he was just a little infant, and we were trying to get him to sleep, we discovered just how creaky and loud our tight house is. And so there'd be a time when I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I'd start creaking on the wood floor and trying to make it to the bathroom. And as I did that, Remy would wake up, and he'd be in tears, and then Katie would immediately also have to wake up and then the whole night of rest would be ruined by these creaky floors. And so the way that we solved that was by just filling the whole room with white noise. You see, a mother's instinct when she hears her child's cry is to immediately get up and to care for that infant This is how God desires to care for us. He sees us in our vulnerable state and he says, right when I hear that cry, I am coming in. I am deeply moved into the narrative. Jesus is the one who extends perfect compassion And the body of Christ is invited to extend that compassion to all who would be willing. Let me read to you how this is developed in the New Testament. It's found um, in 1 Corinthians. says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you see the gift this morning? The gift in the wilderness is the gift that only God can bring the comfort that our hearts truly long for. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement at all from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, and do do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, 
value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's saying if you know Jesus at all, if you have any encouragement whatsoever, that what Paul is exhorting is that it would move you into this desire to be like-minded, one in spirit and humility. And so if Jesus has ever come to you or if Jesus needs to come to you this week in the midst of your mess and distress and extend your comfort that you were wondering, God, do you care? Let me reassure you this morning that the promise of Scripture is that he cares, that he's extending his compassion towards you and God sees you right where you are. And if you have ever felt this compassion, then you should, with those who are in this flock, extend this compassion. This week I was walking, prayer walking around the church and just asking God, God, what do you think of this church? And my impression of what God was seeing about St. Andrews is that St. Andrews is good. And I don't just say that because I'm the pastor. I mean, this church is 74 years old and it has a long history. And I just really felt like God was saying, St. Andrews is good. And I walked where, um, down by our fellowship hall where we have a compassion ministry for the homeless. And I just felt like the joy of the Lord was coming forth and that place, and if you walk down there, you know, it's not the most glamorous building or spot. I mean, that space looks really used, but it's used in this meaningful way to extend compassion. And I know there's been so many people in this church that have benefited from this community and its embodiment of compassion. And so the invitation in the wilderness is to say, will we continue to be good? Will we continue to remember that God is compassionate in our moments of suffering and crisis? This week, um, I had a moment with my son. He was playing in the living room, which he has basically turned into his own personal sky zone, which is one of those trampoline places where you jump into the foam pits. And of course, what he likes to do is take all of the pillows in the living room, put them on the floor, and then dive bomb into them. Now, this is fine for a five-year-old for the most part, although somewhat dangerous at times. But his sister, two-year-old Glory, also likes to follow him in whatever he does. And so he put all of the pillows in this particular formation one morning, and he actually had this really cute moment where he even went and got his sister some wings, some butterfly wings that you would maybe see in a Halloween costume that she could strap on and pretend like she's flying. And this particular formation of the cushions was a little bit dangerous, and so I mentioned that to my son, I said, son, we need to move this pillow so that Glory doesn't jump on it and fall down. 
but he was adamant, adamant that that pillow needed to stay exactly where it was. And I was pre-coffee and a little bit just ready to go with the flow. And so I said, okay, fine, you win. We'll keep the couch cushions the way that you have formulated them. And Glory goes for a jump. She does fine. But then the second time, she does the same jump, but she falls and she falls, comes crashing down where there is no cushion, and she hits her head on the table counter next door. Not too bad, but fairly bad. And before I say anything, Remy bolts for his room. And in my heart, the first thing, of course, I felt is, I told you so, and how could this be? And I was just frustrated and upset, and I walked into my son's room, and I saw he was distraught, and he was saying, I'm so stupid. How could I do this? I'm so stupid, and I'm so stupid, and gosh, that, that message that he was speaking over himself, that lie that he was saying about himself, just grieved my heart. And what it did was it changed my posture because at first I wanted to come in with that, I told you so, and you need to listen to me. And I did go into a little bit of that. But as he started going on about this, I was just grieved. And I began to say to him, no, Remy, you are not stupid. You are not bad. You are loved. And nothing you could do makes you loved any more or any less I love you all the time, no matter what. And I said, this is a moment for us to learn that everyone makes mistakes. Dad makes mistakes, mom makes mistakes, glory makes mistakes. And so we can learn knowing that God loves us. Knowing that when we make mistakes, we want to run and hide and tantrum, but God is coming to find us right where we're at, and his heart is grieved when we begin to punish ourselves and speak the lies to self-condemnation over us that have been forever abolished because of the cross and the victory of the cross and the forgiveness of the cross, which has done away with these lies about ourselves and in, in their place is a God of compassion whose name is compassion and extends that compassion to us this morning. And what would happen is if, as a community, we come together seeking God's compassion, knowing that when we are contrite in heart that God comes in mightily, We'll end this morning with reading from Isaiah. It is familiar. We read from Isaiah last week as well. But I felt God speaking to me in my prayer time. And I just want to read this over our community. I believe that one of my callings from God is to bring this message to you in this season. It says this, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. 
A voice of one in the wilderness is calling, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill be made low. And the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then down to verse 11, he tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And finally... Do you not know, verse 28, have you not heard, the Lord is everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Comfort, oh comfort, my people, Lord Jesus. In the moments of their frustration and stress, may you, Lord Jesus, be deeply moved to bring a spirit of comfort. Lord Jesus, would you make St. Andrew's a place of comfort where we can come when we are hurting and in distress and broken and in all honesty bring our full selves to you and to one another and discover that we will receive the gift of compassion that we can then extend to the people around us. Lord Jesus, may it be so, may it be so, may it be so today. Amen.